scripture today comes from the book of Proverbs. Uh, first of all, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is the word of the Lord. Hi again, New Hope. It's great to see you all on this beautiful day. Um, I know some of us, our kids are off next week. I wonder, is, it, is weather going to look like this all week long? Maybe? No? I hope so. Um, we have been, over the past several months, in a series of messages entitled Proverbs, The Way of Wisdom. And what we've found as we've been walking through Proverbs is that wisdom the way God defines it, is more than intelligence. It's more than a high IQ. Wisdom is also more than morality. It's more than being a a morally upstanding person. Now, it's not that those things don't matter at all, but wisdom goes beyond that. Wisdom is more than being smart, and it's more than being good. Wisdom is the ability to live well in the world that God has designed. It's the skill to be able to navigate life in the way that God has designed us to navigate life. And in the book of Proverbs, the author of life himself comes to us and says, here's what wisdom looks like. Here's what it looks like to navigate well in this world that I've made, in this world that's fallen because of the results of sin. In Proverbs, God comes He's not just an expert on life. He's the author of life. And he, and he shines a light of wisdom on many different areas of our lives. And what we're going to be looking at today is this one particular area of friendship. God wants to show you what real, healthy friendship looks like. And, and here's, here are some goals for us today. And I think that these goals, these are really the goals that Proverbs has for us as it talks to us about friendship. One is that we would seek out friends like the ones that Proverbs describes, but not only that, but that we would be friends like the friends that Proverbs describes. In other other words, it's it's, it's about being a friend, not just having friends. Sure, we should seek out good friends, but I think what God wants for us is that we would become friends Good friends. I know growing up as a, as a child, I always wanted to have lots of friends. I always wanted to be cool. I always wanted to be accepted. And so um, I, I really focused on it, and I worked hard at it. But what I never realized as a, as a kid growing up is that it really wasn't about trying to have friends. What was much more important is for me to seek to be a friend. I wish I'd learned that earlier. But there's another goal that God has for us in the book of Proverbs. And it's not just that we would grow to understand what good friendship looks like. 
I believe God's goal here is to show us Jesus Christ. It's to show us Jesus who offers us the very kind of friendship that the Proverbs describe. Friendship that's better than anything that you've experienced, even in your best relationships here between people. A friendship that exceeds what's possible, humanly speaking. The Bible tells us that through Jesus Christ, we are welcomed into friendship with God. You know that in the Old Testament, it was a very big deal to be called a servant of God. Like the, 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 the label servant of God was not just thrown around liberally. The prophets, for instance, Jeremiah, Isaiah, they were referred to as servants of God. And they worked very closely with God. They received messages from God which they would deliver. They represented God to the people. They were servants. But you know, it was even a bigger deal to be called a friend of God. And that honor was reserved, at least in the Old Testament, for just a few people. Abraham was called a friend of God. Moses, it says in Exodus 33, that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. What an honor. And yet, now, for us, through faith in Jesus Christ, you and I, are welcomed into open friendship with God. It's not just the few. It's not the best of us. It's all of us. If you have put your faith in Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a friend to God. And, and, and more than that, he is a friend to you. In John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says these words, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Isn't that an amazing friendship? That Jesus chooses us to become his friends? I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, you go to the Father in my name because you're my friend. He may give it to you. Now, is it true that we're servants of God? Yeah, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a servant of God. You're also a disciple of Jesus. You're also children of God. Those are all terms that the Bible uses. But I wonder if sometimes we're, we, we focus less on this one than we should. We know we're disciples of Christ. We know we're children of God. We know that we are servants of God. But do you think of yourself as a friend of God? Do you think of God as your friend? You see, through Jesus Christ, God befriends us. Do you receive your relationship to the Lord in that way? I think God wants you to. And the Proverbs are designed to help you see your relationship to the Lord in that way. To see God through the the lens of friendship so that when we pray, we are praying yes to our King, yes to our Father, but also to our friend. 
Now, all of these metaphors, they're all important for us because they all teach us a, a certain different angle on what it means to relate to God. In and of themselves, is every one of them on its own is insufficient. But when we take all of them together, then we get a better idea of how we relate to God. We come to him as a king because he's all-powerful. But if he's only a king, how do you feel if, some, if you had to go speak to a king? I don't know, I'd be comfortable speaking to a king. But if the king is my friend, a friend who doesn't just give you access to his throne, but who actually anticipates and eagerly desires your visit. A friend, you know how it is when a friend from far off is coming to visit, and you can't wait for them to be there. You're eager to spend time with them. You're not judging them based on every word they say. You're just happy to be next to them and to be with them in the same place, enjoying a meal, enjoying conversation. That, 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 whatever you've experienced in terms of that in this life, I believe is meant to show you something of how God views you in Christ, a friend whose presence at the table is welcome. As we talk about friendship today, I, I want us to realize that this is super important for all of us. Um, so much is at stake with regard to our friendships, how we treat our friends, how we make friends, who we decide to befriend, all of this has a, has a shaping effect on our lives, doesn't it? Haven't your, hasn't your life been shaped by the friendships you've made in some way? And if you're young, especially if you're a student, you're in middle school, you're in high school, I'd say this is especially important for you. The friendships that you make and how you treat those friends and how they treat you and, and who you choose to befriend, all of this will have, I guarantee you, and is having, and you probably already know this, a powerful shaping effect on your life, on who you are. God wants to show us what real healthy friendship looks like. This passage Tim read for us earlier from Proverbs 18.24. It says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a distinction to here between companions and friends. And, and I think that one of the things that the, that, the, that the Proverbs want to show us is that there's danger in only having many, many superficial relationships. It's dangerous for you and it's dangerous for me to have relationships that are all surfacey, superficial, and lots of them. Maybe you've experienced some of the danger in that. It can also be very comfortable to have many, many superficial relationships. It can be easy to have many, many superficial relationships. God says it's also dangerous. It can bring you to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a difference between companions and friends. There's a difference between Facebook friends and friends, right? And there's also a difference between the people that you relate to simply for pragmatic reasons, because um, they help you accomplish certain things. Maybe they're the people you work with. Maybe they're people that you team up with for particular purposes. I'm not saying those people can't be your friends, but they're not always friends. 
those people that you team up with or you work with for certain reasons, and then you move on. The relationships are not lasting. Those relationships are not necessarily intimate. I think God wants to warn us against viewing people in that way, viewing them pragmatically, like just forming relationships just for personal, um, selfish, pragmatic purposes. Networking is an important feature of many, in many careers, networking is important. Networking is not necessarily bad, but God wants to warn us against viewing all our relationships through that grid of, what can you do for me? Kobe Bryant, who used to play, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. He used to play for the great Los Angeles Lakers. Kobe Bryant was a great basketball player. I don't know that he was much of a very good friend, but he said these words. He said, teammates come and go, banners are forever. He was talking about his accomplishments. He had won some championships in L.A., and there were banners up hanging from the ceiling of the Staples Forum showing everyone those accomplishments, reminding the world of those accomplishments. He points up at those and he says, look, teammates have come and gone. I don't remember half of their names. Most of them probably didn't even get to deserve to play with Kobe. But he says, look at that. That lasts. My name, my number, my accomplishments. The Proverbs intend to tell us that Kobe has it backwards, upside down. These words, interestingly enough, were written in a culture where family was everything. So when Proverbs come and say, look, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, that's meant to startle us a bit. Because in the culture in which this was written, brotherhood was like everything. Family bonds, you don't break those. If anything, you might think friends would come and go, but family bonds, loyalty to your parents, loyalty to your siblings, the Proverbs come and say, no, 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 there is such a friendship that can be stronger than even those familial ties, those familial ties that you were born into. Friendship here in Proverbs 18 is something other than family. It's, it's also something other than marriage. The Proverbs have a great deal to say about marriage. We're going to see that eventually, but here it's not necessarily talking about marriage. Is it true that your spouse can and should be your friend? Of course. But that's not necessarily what this proverb's talking about. You would be wise to forge strong friendships, intimate relationships, even outside of your family outside your marriage. So what does God's version of friendship look like? Here's what I want us to do today, um, the rest of our time. I want us to look at some features of friendship as God defines it and God describes it. Here's the first thing God says about friends. He says they are steadfast, steadfast, which is not a word we use that often. We actually used it before when we read from Lamentations, as, as, as Che led us in reading that. But what does steadfastness mean? Steadfast means steady, not going to quit, keeps going, doesn't waver up and down, but it's steady. Friendship, true friendship, ideal friendship, God says, is like that. Look at Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. 
He loves that. A friend loves at all times. That's the opposite of fair weather friendship, right? It's the opposite of kind of friendship that says, like, we're cool, but if things change, I'm out. Or if you let me down, I'm out. Or I might give you three strikes, but on the third one, I'm gone. No, God says, that's not the kind of friendship that I desire for you. You see, he's describing a kind of friendship where someone sticks close to you, not because they have to, but because they choose to. And he says, that's a friendship. And, and, and all the more when they are willing to do that when you're facing adversity. Adversity, that word can be translated different ways. It can mean need, like a time of need. Adversity can mean distress. Adversity here, this word, Hebrew word, can actually mean anxiety. In your times of anxiety, your times of fear, your times of need, God says, true friends will love you through those times, will walk with you through and into that adversity. And, and, and here's the thing. Like I said, Proverbs want to point us to Jesus. This is the way Jesus loves us. This is the friendship that Jesus extends to us. In John 13, Jesus says, God says, to us about Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Get this. Jesus sets his love upon a particular people. Remember in John 15, he says, or in John, 13, in John 15, he says, I chose you. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And he says, I'm going to love you to the very end. What kind of friend do you have that, that could make that kind of promise to you and actually keep it? How many times have you thought that you would be a friend to someone until the end, but for one reason or another, that relationship is now ruptured? Either they let you down or you let them down, but for one reason or another, you intended to love them to the end, but you did not. Jesus says, I will not let you down. It's the, it's the words of Deuteronomy 31.8 that really capture this. I love the way it says it there. It says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. This friend will not leave you or forsake you. That's the language of covenant. That's the language of someone who comes and says, I'm not just striking up a relationship with you. There's nothing casual about this. We're not just going to see how this goes between us and see if we can really hit it off. That's not how God relates to us. He says, I am entering into a covenant, a binding, promise-based relationship, wherein I promise to never leave you or forsake you. Are you going to forsake me? Yes, you will. Are you going to leave me? Yes, you will. But I will not do that to you. That's the kind of friendship that God extends to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He forms a covenant with us. This is reflected beautifully in marriage, right? Maybe we've seen that before. But it's also, and I think we miss it often, it's also reflected in friendship. The gospel, wherein God comes into relationship with the people and says, you are mine and I am yours, and I'm not going to let you go. He says marriage is meant to, in, in, in Ephesians, we learn that marriage is meant to, to just be a picture of that. But I don't think marriage is the only picture of that that God's given us. Friendship, as described in Proverbs 17, 17, is a picture of that gospel. 
We get, we get, a, um, we get a great example of this in the book of 1 Samuel. We read about David and Jonathan, these two men, young men, who became friends. It, it, it tells us in, in, in 1 Samuel 18 that, that Jonathan saw David and got to know him and, 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 and said, I'm going to be your friend. And, and they actually formed a covenant. It says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. He said, I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to help you. I'm going to protect you. It was a particularly important friendship for David because Jonathan happened to be the son of King Saul. So here's David, a young man, who had suddenly been taken out of a rural life as a shepherd boy, brought into contact with this powerful king of Israel, Saul, who was unhinged, to say the least. Maybe we know a little little bit of what that, that looks like. David starts to impress Saul, but Saul also begins to start getting jealous of David. Like I said, Saul's kind of an unhinged, insecure leader, and so he's, he turns on David. And it turns out that this leads to a great deal of adversity for David. But the one person who's positioned to really help David in the midst of all that was the son of the king, the son of Saul, Jonathan. He's in a place to walk with David through that adversity, even though it meant getting on his dad's bad side. He walks with David, protects him, gives him, 1 Samuel 18 tells us, gives him his sword and his shield. And he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. This is the kind of friendship that God commends to us in the Proverbs It was lived out by Jonathan and David, although imperfectly, but it's perfectly captured in the way that Jesus relates to us. This is the, this is, even that friendship between David and Jonathan is meant to point us to something better. Jesus doesn't leave when we disappoint him. These words that we began with from Lamentations today are just a stark reminder of that. We see this in, in the life of Jesus on earth as well. We see it in the story of Peter, his, one of his closest friends, the closest friend of Jesus perhaps on earth. And what does Peter do? He disappoints Christ. He denies Christ. He abandons Christ. But how do we see the gospel account ending? And how do we see the book of Acts beginning? It's with Jesus moving towards Peter and saying, no, I told you I'm your friend. <laughs> I will not cease to be your friend. John Newton, the hymn writer, wrote this hymn called One There Is Above All Others Well Deserves the Name of Friend. It's a beautiful hymn, and through it he goes through talking about all the ways in which Jesus is a friend to us. And and, and this is how that hymn ends. It says, Could we bear from one another what he, Jesus, daily bears from us? Yet this glorious friend and brother loves us though we treat him thus. Though for good we render ill, he accounts us brethren still. Though he gives us good and we repay with either indifference or disobedience or doubts, he still considers us his brothers, his sisters, 
his friends. Pastor Ray Ortland put it this way, a true friend knows who you really are and does not walk away. That's Jesus. There's another aspect of friendship that, that the Proverbs describe for us. True friendship is steadfast, but it's also, um, a true friend is steadfast, but also a true friend provides us with sincere counsel. Sincere counsel. Look at Proverbs 27, verse 9. It says there, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. There's this comparison being made here. And it starts with uh, looking at oil and perfume. The, the flavor of oil, and this is oil, would have been talking about olive oil, probably. The, its flavor and the fragrance of perfume or incense They're so pleasant, aren't they? So pleasant. I um, I have a little baby daughter, and sometimes our baby daughter somehow finds her way into our bed during the middle of the night. Either my wife goes in and grabs her from her crib and brings her in, or I go in and grab her and bring her in. I can barely remember which it is most nights. She's crying, and she'll, she'll sleep on our bed between us, And because she's only one year old, sometimes I wake up in the morning with the awful odor of a nasty, disgusting, putrid diaper in our bed with me right next to my head, you know? And it's an awful way to wake up with that smell. Like you turn, you see this cute little angelic face. And then my baby's there too. No, I'm just, two angelic faces. I see my my angelic face of my baby and then, and then I smell that odor, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's awful. It's a terrible way to start the day. And, but, but compare that to waking up to the smell of coffee brewing, pancakes, the smell of bacon sizzling. For some of us, that's a wonderful smell. You wake up, and those fragrances hit you, And there's a gladness of heart that sets in. There's a pleasantness. It's welcome. God is telling us in this proverb that sincere counsel, and that's what earnest counsel means. It means counsel that's sincere, that's passionate, that's from the heart. It's good for your soul. The kind of counsel that you receive from a friend who you trust is good for your soul. It brings gladness to your heart. And again, it's earnest counsel. This isn't just cheap advice. This isn't just thoughtless opinions. This is passionate, heartfelt counsel from someone who's willing to pray with you and seek wisdom with you. It's sincere. It's selfless. It's not selfish. Look, we all face decisions, making decisions all the time. Some of us are in a season of life where we're making very big decisions, like um, where to go to school, who to marry, what career path to head down. Should I move? Should I not move? Should I stay in Westchester or not? A friend is necessary, not just in times of adversity, But a friend is necessary in times like these. (laughs) 
times when we've got these choices to make. Proverbs 18.1 tells us that whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all judgment, all sound judgment, that is. In other words, if I have decisions to make, or if I have um, uh, just issues, difficulties to think through, challenges that I'm facing, and I decide to isolate myself from others and say, I'm going to tackle this on my own, God says, what you're really doing is just seeking your own desire. You're not seeking wisdom. You're seeking your own desire. In fact, not only are you not seeking wisdom, you're actually actively breaking out against wisdom. You are actively rejecting sound judgment. So when someone says, hey, I need wisdom, I, I need wisdom, I really want to grow in wisdom. If, if you are isolating yourself from others and not seeking the counsel of trusted friends, then I would say, no, you don't want wisdom. You want your own desires, and you don't want anyone to get in the way of that. And so isolating yourself is the best way to do that. Jesus, in the Proverbs and throughout the rest of the pages of scriptures, comes to us and offers us earnest counsel. Isn't it amazing how you get this sense whenever you hear Jesus speaking to a group of people or to an individual, whether he's preaching to a group or he's in conversation one-on-one, you never get the sense that he's just academically um, standing kind of aloof, disengaged, and just lecturing. You never get the sense that Jesus is just downloading information to people. You always get the sense that he's earnestly, passionately Sharing truth. That's what the Bible is. Don't read this Bible as if it's some kind of cold set of rules from God. Don't read the Bible like it's a list of do's and don'ts from your creator. It's more than that. It's the very heart of your creator revealed to you. It's it's his passionate, heartfelt counsel to you. And it's always wise. You should receive it that way. friend is steadfast, a friend that gives you sincere counsel, and then lastly, this is the last thing I'll say, a friend gives you loving correction. Loving correction. And here's, here's what I mean by that. If, if counsel is about helping you walk in the right direction, then correction is about helping you turn around when you're heading in the wrong direction. And you see? So if counsel is about walking alongside you and, and helping you down that path, Correction is saying, look, you're headed down the wrong path. We need to turn. You need to turn. Look at what it says in Proverbs 27, verse 6. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Um, Correction can hurt, can't it? Even when it comes from a friend. Even when it's someone you love and you trust and they come and they say, listen, you're thinking all wrong. What you're doing is all wrong. You're headed in a bad direction. You need to change. That hurts. The thing is that those who don't care about you are willing to avoid correcting you, avoid hurting you. Those who don't care about you are willing to say and do whatever in order to please you, even if that means allowing you to stay on a path that's destructive There's a difference, really, between hurting and harming. 
Because what the Proverbs here describe for us in, uh, in Proverbs 27, 6, it, it, is something that hurts. The wounds of a friend, the injuries that you suffer when someone just tells you the truth. But there's a difference between that kind of hurting and the kind of harming, long-term harming that comes sometimes when we are unwilling to share truth that would hurt. Some will not want to hurt you, but in doing so, they will do you great harm. But others, and I hope you've experienced this, I know I have, in order, someone, in order to save you from harm, will be willing to hurt you in the short run. And I thank God for friends who are willing to hurt me in the short run in order to save me from decisions and patterns that would have destroyed me a long time ago. Have you had experiences like that? Experiences where you've been on either end of that. So either you're the one who's the the faithful friend who's bringing injury just in order to save, or maybe you're on the other end of that, where you needed a faithful friend and God provided a faithful friend to come. And it wounded you, it hurt you. But in hindsight, you say, I'm thankful that person didn't just come up and give me a hug and kiss me and tell me everything was all right. Instead, this person was willing, was willing to rescue me. Ray Ortland, Pastor Ray Ortland says, these proverbs are not meant to unleash, listen to this, he says, these proverbs are not meant to unleash reckless mouthing off and self-appointed critics who think you really need their opinions. That's not what he's talking about. Mouthing off and self-appointed critics don't do the kind of hurting that a faithful friend does. They do the kind of long-term harm to relationships that discourages and divides and destroys. But Ortland says, these proverbs are about a true friend who's making you better by respectful confrontation. You see, these words that, that wound from a friend, they are spoken with humility. They're, they're spoken with patience. They're not shouted. They're spoken out of love. And their goal is to give grace. Their goal is to actually help, not to vent, not to give you a piece of my mind, not to tell you something I've been waiting forever to tell you. We all need this because we can't view, we can't see ourselves clearly enough half the time, so we need trusted friends to come and help us see what we're missing. They have to be willing to disagree with us. We don't need yes men in our life. None of us needs yes men. Instead, what we need is, uh, is people who are able to lovingly, patiently point us to our own errors, but ultimately point us to the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. I was, um, I was at a wedding last night where I got to see two friends, um, two friends get married. Um, actually, the, 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 the groom is a, is a friend of mine and has been for years. The, the bride I've only recently met. But it was wonderful to see this, see this relationship and, and you know, this covenant relationship begin. Um, one of the things that really struck me as, as my friend David got married to this, this girl, um, Elisa, um, David's brother 
Paul was his best man. And Paul stood up to give a speech about his brother David. And during this speech, Paul described their relationship and how they had always shared a room, and sometimes they had to share a bed, and they knew each other so well. But he he described how they were brothers, but they didn't really seem to be that close of friends. It didn't seem that way. But, But eventually things started to change. One of the things that changed was David came to know Jesus Christ. David became a Christian. He became a friend of Jesus. And Paul said this changed everything because David was like a very different guy. He said David started to like, instead of, of, of uh, arguing and fighting with him all the time, instead he would say, hey, Paul, how was your day at school today? And Paul said, that's the weirdest thing. What's wrong with you? Get away from me. What's, what's the matter with you? He didn't recognize this guy. But what happened as David began to continue to just ask Paul about what was going on in his life and then continue to confront Paul and say, listen, all these things that you're chasing in life, they're not going to help you. Nothing in your life matters without Jesus. You need Jesus. You need to know Jesus. And kept talking to him about Jesus. Paul initially was put off, put off, put off, but eventually it all changed because Paul was brought to a place where he believed in Jesus too. And now he looks at his brother David and he says, this guy was not just a brother to me. He was a friend, the closest friend in my life because he came and he showed me where I was wrong. He rescued me. He spoke truth to me that no one else was willing to speak or could speak, and he revealed to me what friendship with Jesus would look like. Now they're like best friends. David's getting married in a couple of weeks. I mean, no, David just got married. Paul's getting married in a couple of weeks. I think David's going to be Paul's best man too. So important for us, guys. We all want to be, to some degree, we want to be with people who affirm us and support us. And, and I think there's good in that. We want to be with people who see the world like we do, who, who we have that special affinity with. And I get that. There's comfort in that. But we also need friends who are willing to wound us, who are faithful enough to do that. This is, I think, especially important now because I think that now with, maybe it has to do with social media, maybe it has to do with just the way the world's evolving, we tend to live in silos, I think. We tend to associate very much with people who agree with us. And when we interact with those who disagree with us, it's often in a combative way, in an angry way. What we need is to be challenged by those who actually love us. We need to listen to them. This is the kind of friendship that God commends to us. Now, um, as we've looked at all this, we've looked at what the Bible has to, what the Proverbs has to say about what true friends look like. I, I want us to kind of avoid this temptation of taking friendship and over-spiritualizing the whole thing to the point where we can't just say, hey, I just like hanging out with this guy. He's my friend. We like to watch the game together. What's wrong with that? I'll say there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We should enjoy the comfort of friendship. Enjoy the comfort of just shared experiences, whether it's a vacation together, or whether it's a meal together, or it's a game together, or it's just hanging out. There's nothing wrong with that. To enjoy the fun of, of, of being together and knowing the comfort of being liked, knowing this person actually likes me, and I like them. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but my point is simply this, that without the steadfastness, the sincere counsel, and the loving correction that we've talked about, that friendship is going to be 
less than what it was meant to be. Without the steadfastness and the sincere counsel and the loving correction, that that friendship becomes just a shell of the kind of friendship that God really wants for us. So I want to encourage you, let the Proverbs, I want to encourage myself in this area, let the Proverbs shape how you seek to be a friend. But also, um, let the Proverbs show you your need for a better friend. Because maybe, maybe you're in a place where you can point to some people in your life who have been very faithful to you. Maybe they continue to be faithful to you. And even now, people with whom you have this kind of relationship where we can say, yes, this, is, this relationship has been steadfast. There's been counsel that's gone back and forth. There's been correction that's even gone back and forth. And it hasn't destroyed our relationship. It's actually made it stronger. But at the same time, I think the Proverbs mean to show us that, look, even those greatest of relationships are flawed. Even your best friends have disappointed you at times, haven't they? And you have disappointed them. Proverbs 18.24 again, it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I believe that this proverb is pointing, it's pointing way ahead to a friend who says, even in eternity, I will stick close to you. This proverb is meant to point us to the person of Jesus Christ, who says, I call you my friend. I've chosen you. The same Jesus Christ, who says in John 15, verse 13, listen to this, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater love. There is no greater example of friendship than this, than one would lay down his life for you. And Jesus says, this is the kind of friend I am. When I told you I'd never leave you or forsake you, that was pretty cool, right? How about this? I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to die for you. Jesus was the steadfast friend. Look at the way he interacts with his disciples. Did he ever disappoint them? Did he ever let them down? He always counseled them sincerely. He, he never, Jesus never backed down from correcting them when he needed to because he loved them. But he went beyond that. He laid down his life for his friends. He, Jesus Christ died for fair weather people like us. He died for people like us who offer counsel that's, that's half-hearted, that's cheap advice. He died for people like us who will sometimes withhold correction from others because we're afraid that it, the confrontation is going to be awkward or because we fear that they'll reject us. He suffers rejection for us so that we can be brought into eternal covenant friendship with God. He died for people like us who sometimes we, we, we avoid giving correction because we're afraid that it's going to blow up the relationship, but then at other times, he, he dies for people like us who engage in correction from a selfish heart because we want to give people a piece of our mind, because we want to tell them all the ways that they've let us down, because we want them to see how awful they've been toward us. Jesus says, I see the pride behind that. 
I see the self-righteousness behind that, and I will die for you. So that when we face God, we will not see a judge ready to condemn, but a friend who welcomes us at the table and says, I've been waiting to have this meal with you. Have a seat. It's good to see you. Some of you, maybe you're here this, this afternoon and, and you're, you long for friendship. And maybe for a good friendship is something that, that you just haven't found or maybe you lost it and you're lonely. Or maybe you had good friends and they disappointed you. Jesus comes and says, I will be that friend who will never disappoint you. I want to leave you with these words because I think the Apostle Paul experienced the comfort that comes from that. Deeply experienced the comfort that came from that in the middle of adversity. I'm going to read this passage and I'm going to pray. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul tells us that he had to face um, a very powerful leader. He had to stand before Caesar and his life was on the line and he was in trouble. He was in severe adversity and here's what he says. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. In that moment, I had one friend, Paul says, and he was more than enough. I invite you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, what can we say to you who've befriended us in spite of how we have treated you. What can we say to you other than thank you? What can we do other than praise you? Lord, would you, would you build into our hearts a greater, a deeper appreciation of not just gratitude, but a deeper sense of the deep friendship that you have welcomed us into with you? And Lord, would you help us, even as we pursue friends here on earth, to to, to have our pursuit of friendship and have our, our desire to be a friend shaped by the wisdom you give us in this word. Lord, you have stood by us and you have strengthened us. And we thank you. In your name, amen.